Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at We're starting a new sermon series. It's a 12-week series uh, that we're going to take you through all the way up to Easter, which is like March 31st. So Good Friday will be our last message. Uh, I'm going to give you at least 11, maybe 12 practical um, messages on how we can grow. How many of you want to grow in your relationship with God? Uh, for what's interesting, a couple couple years ago, longer, it was probably a decade ago, um, Shane and I went with one of our closest friend, friends. His name is Mark Francie, and uh, he had a Hummer, and we were outside. It was snowing a lot. It was 17 degrees below zero, and little Marky Mark wanted to um, take the Humvee uh, uh, adventuring into the snow. And I said, Mark, we're probably going to get stuck. He's like, No, I can handle this, and he can handle most things, but he could not handle this snow, and so. We got stuck. Everyone say stuck. Everyone say stuck. Have you ever been stuck in snow for a long time? It was four hours and 17 degrees below zero. Am I telling the truth, Shane? Yeah, I'm telling the truth. And um, we had great conversation. It was a really frustrating time. We had a tow that came. The tow almost got stuck. And we, if it, we were in the middle of nowhere. It was, it, was like, it was not a fun experience. The reason why I'm saying this is because this is what this, this message series is all about. It's about getting unstuck. Many of us are stuck. We're stuck in unhealthy um, patterns, uh, thinking patterns. We're stuck in sin patterns. We're stuck with addictions. We're stuck in not going higher in the purposes of God. And there are many things that God has put in our heart, uh, many adventures, uh, many really good purposes. And we just find ourselves kind of orbiting around the same thing over and over and over again. In fact, a recent study that just came out that really kind of was a cat was catalytic for this message series was that over 80%, over 80% of Christians have confessed to the feeling of being stuck in their life. I don't want you to be stuck. 2024 is going to be a year of freedom. Can I get an amen? Because the Bible is very clear. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and there is liberty. And whom Jesus sets free is free indeed. I don't want us to be like that dude who's still reliving his high school days, right? We need to say, bro, you're 52 and it's no longer the 80s, okay? It's funny, we, we're just, we have a desire to grow. We are designed biologically and spiritually for growth. No one in here wants to be stuck. No one, want, no one in this room wants to be five years old for the rest of their life. It's funny, I, this, is, this is something that I'm, I've shared this before, but I've had a conversation with God many times and I will have a conversation with the Lord in new heavens and new earth. And this conversation is about God, why am I 5'11 and three quarters? I was a sophomore in high school. My dad played college ball. I eventually played college ball, but I, you know, I wanted to be taller. My dad's six foot five, and um, I, I kept on praying, God, I'm waiting for that growth spurt, waiting for that growth spurt. In fact, I'm actually six two and a half. Can you tell? You know, God, no, um, five eleven and three quarters, and it never happened. And I felt like I was stuck. You know, feel that I was stuck at five eleven and three quarters. And this is a conversation that, I, that I'm going to have with the Lord. But here, this is the point. Okay, I just had to get it out there. I'm, I'm, I'm taking counseling right now over this. 
The point that I just want to just hammer into our hearts. Everyone in this room has a place where you're stuck. Everyone. I don't care if you've been in the church for 35,000 years. I don't care if you've been in the church for a couple weeks. There are areas in all of us that God wants to unstick us, that he wants to bring great growth, that God wants to enlarge our capacity for him, uh, for more authority, and for more grace. So over the next 12 weeks, uh, this series is about spiritual growth. As I mentioned, it's about um, opening ourselves up to the Holy Spirit. It's about maturing. And so essentially, I'm going to offer a conceptual map for us on how we grow, a conceptual map for maturity. And the, 12, the next 12 weeks are going to be just spiritual or practical signposts that can lead us more fully into the purposes of God. So are you ready? Yes. All right, turn to your name and say, are you ready? So Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your presence. And I bless everyone in here in this room, except for, da, uh, for, Cal, the, except for the Packer fans, okay? Gosh, I'll try to talk in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So I'm gonna be talking about your confidence in God. If you don't have confidence in God, you can't grow. Everyone in this room needs to develop and grow in their confidence in God. Again, I don't care if you've been in church a long time, or if you've been in church for a little bit of time, or you've been in church meeting me a little bit of time, blah, 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 right? You, we, we all have to develop and cultivate a confidence, a deep-rooted, soiled confidence in the goodness of God. And here's the thing. Critics of Christianity uh, will usually say, and I hear this many times. I'll be out in the streets. I've heard this in, at, at Whole Foods many times. I've heard this at university campus. I've heard this in many conversations over my last 30 years of being in ministry. And usually people say this who don't know God. They'll say, the trouble is everything that Jesus is against, I like. What, what are they implicitly saying? Well, God's not good. Right, they're saying, God's not good, right? And of course, that's a silly caricature. And of course, there are really bad Christians out there. Have you met a bad Christian out there? Okay, um, bad Christians can twist uh, the truth of Jesus and the words of God to control people, but, but that's not the way of Jesus. Um, for example, a story of a young boy at a strict school was asked to write down in order the, the worst things that humans could ever do. He wrote, number one, um, be an ax murderer. Number two, he says, running down the school corridor. Okay, so that's the second worst thing that you could do. And three, he said, become a Packers fan. I'm kidding. No, he didn't do that. He didn't, no. So what's the point of that? The point is, okay, our perceptual world usually is um, out of proportion. Uh, all of us here have, tra in, in so on some level, a tragic misunderstanding of who God is and his character. So don't give me that religious look like, uh, no, not me. It's my neighbor, right? Don't think about George today. Don't think about your wife. Don't think about your kids. Own this message. We all, if we want to grow and get unstuck, we have to grow in our confidence in the goodness of God. So when it comes to God, um, we have to evaluate how we think about him. The most, for example, the most frequent command in the Bible given by God, by angels, by Jesus, by the prophets, by the apostles is not no more cocaine. It's not just be good. It's not just be holy. And it's not don't sin. And those are all good things. Can I get an amen? Don't do cocaine. Right. Be holy. Yes. Go and sin no more. These are things that Jesus says often, but they're not the most frequent thing. What do you think the most frequent thing that Jesus says? The most frequent command in the Bible is don't be afraid. 
Fear not. Don't be discouraged. Be strong. Why? For I'm your God. Why? For I am with you. Why? Because I'll strengthen you. Why? I'm going to uphold you with my righteous right hand. Why? Because I'm your helper. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid is the repeated refrain throughout the Bible. Fear, among other things, but we're really focusing on fear today, is a fundamental threat to living close to Jesus. If you want to get into the flow and the dynamics of the kingdom of God, if you want to experience life and life more abundantly and the peace that surpasses all understanding, fear is a threat to all of that. Fear is a threat to all of that. And when it comes to God and when it comes to belief in God and when it comes to faith, all of that, God, faith, and belief in him is mutually incompatible with fear. It's either you are in fear or you are in faith. And of course, there's a halfsies between that. And of course, there's a process where God is growing us into faith. I totally understand that. But I don't think we should live in fear all the days of our lives. Can I get an amen? Many of us, if you could trace the etymology of our fear, it comes back again to our tragic misunderstanding of God, that God somehow is not good. For others, God is somehow, in a tragic way, a monster, an immoral monster that offers arbitrary demands. Many of us assume that if I give my life to God, that he's going to take more than he gives. And the reason why we struggle with holiness is because we feel like he's going to take more than he gives. And this is what happened to the garden. The reason why Adam and Eve chose to disobey God is because they came down to the conclusion that God was defined by a prohibition as opposed to permission. What's interesting, God says you may eat, eat of every tree in the Hebrew. Eat, eat means you can freely eat of the millions of trees that I have offered you. You can just not have one tree. And it's in the twisting of their mindset. It's in their lack of trust in the goodness of God that God wants their best that they decided that this one prohibition was bigger than the free permission of God. And the world has been doing the same thing in their relationship and in their thinking with God ever since. The reason why we sin and the reason why we go in the opposite direction of God and the reason why we do the things that we do that do not please God is because we fundamentally do not believe that God loves us, nor is he good. We believe that God's permission is little and God's prohibition is much. And you have to flip the script. We cannot grow in the goodness of God. You cannot grow in the purpose of God if you do not fundamentally believe that God, his word over you is permission. And blessing, not scarcity, life and life to the nth degree. God is not a cosmic killjoy. Come on, the homie, homie doesn't play that. Jesus does not play that kind of game. Amen. The reason why we're talking about fear is because perfect love casts out all fear. For fear involves torment, right? Uh, torment, worry, anxiety, nagging, and insecurity, and um, um, inadequacy, despair, frustration. They do not come from God. And someone needs to hear, hear me say that. 
The nagging sense of inadequacy, the sense of frustration and failure, the frustration in your marriage, all the different things that just kind of you roll around in your head, they're all connected to fear and fear involves torment and that does not come from the voice of God. God wants to perfect his love in his sons and daughters this year in Capital Church. And when we're perfected in love, Perfect love casts out or does an exorcism on all fear. Kicks it out. Says no more. When you're in the love of God and the worry comes and the fear comes and Satan comes and Satan wants to deface you and Satan wants to destroy you. And so he's a pathological liar and he's going to try to take you out. But when you're perfected in the love of God and you know that God is good and you are in the word of God and you have inhaled the promises of God, you can say no. And when you say no from a place of love, fear has to leave. The problem is that many Christians and in the world, it's also true. Perfect fear casts out all love. And I think if, if I had to say any word, prophetic word to the church in 2024, I think this is what I would say. I think the church in, in North America and the church around the world needs to hear Jesus say in a fresh way, you do not have to be afraid of anything anymore for the rest of your life. Julie, and some of you that you find that strain, you're like, I don't know if I believe that. I, let me speak to that here in a little bit. But Julian of Norwich, Norwich, she was um, uh, 12th century. She was um, a saint. She was dying in her bed from bubonic plague. Everyone thought it was over. And at the midnight hour, Jesus appeared to her and said, all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. And instantly she was made whole. And that was the message for the rest of her life to the church. Church. All shall be well, even in death, even in sickness, even in trouble, even in difficult circumstances, even in pain. All shall be well, and God will take the muddled existence, all the complicated stuff in our life, and he will turn it around for good because God's last word is not it's over. God's last word is not I'm stressed. God's last word is I'm, I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm anxious, guys. I don't know how you're going to make it. God's last word and final word is peace be with you you for I have overcome this world and here's the problem experts suggest according to Tyler Staten that we all suffer from this or experience this negative rumination which describes the magnetic pull of the human imagination towards fear for example what is your last thought that you think before you go to bed what is also the last the first thought excuse me that you wake up in the morning that you think about? Is it the frustration from last night? Is it a regret from years ago? Is it, I, I don't think I can make it today? Is it something financial? Is it something with your kids? What, what you think about before you go to bed and what you think about early in the morning tells you or is a litmus test of your confidence in the goodness of God. Tyler Staten continues to say the vast majority of people on the planet begin or end with anxiety, shame, worry, frustrations, despondency, and frustration. Fear is the most pervasive thing. It is the low hum of the human heart that strangles. In fact, anxiety and fear comes from the word to strangle. It strangles 
hope and love and our belief in God. Some of you here today, you are afraid of sickness and death. Some of you are afraid of, of a moral decision that you made in the past that brought about huge disaster. And you think about it over and over and over again. Some of you are living with profound regret. Like if I had a time machine and I could go back to my four-year-old self, I would say, hey, four-year-old, do not become a Dallas Cowboy fan. <laughs> there is so much thinking regret, you know? So we live with regret. Some of us were afraid of uncertainty. I, I'll be honest, that's me. I'm a, I, I can't stand uncertainty. I guess my personality profile, I just, I have to have competency. I need certainty. Some of you are afraid of shame. You know what shame feels like? And I was talking to a wonderful friend of mine. He said, shame feels like you just, you're like trash. You feel like garbage. And there's nothing you can do to get yourself out of this just funk or this pathological way of thinking about yourself. Some of you are fear, you have a, a fear of not mattering to anyone, of, of, of being invisible when you walk into the room and no one knows your name and no one says hi to you or no one's excited to see you. Some of you, you're afraid to even go to stores because no one smiles at you. You just want someone to smile at you. Some of you are afraid of being alone or unloved or looking stupid by doing something maybe that God has put on your heart. We are afraid of so many things. Some of us are afraid of not living up to expectations of our family or maybe even God or maybe even our job and we're just always just filled with fear or maybe we're afraid of not finishing maybe we start well and then we just never finish a project or we say we're going to be holy this year and we end up just doing worse things or we say we're not going to eat the maple bar and we eat 10 of them that night you know <laughs> we are we 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 are religious in a very religious way Afraid, And we find this out of Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, they, they fell from the presence of God. And what is the first emotional experience? What is the script, the plot line that describes them and the rest of human history? It's anxiety. It says they heard God walking in the garden and they were afraid. So this is where we come to Matthew chapter 6. And we see the surprising command of Jesus to a world that's eating, sleeping, and breathing in fear. And this is what he says. Do not be anxious. What? No way. Think about that. To be anxious is to be human. To think about our failures, to think about our regrets, to think about our bodies, to think about our minds, to think about our fear of night and going to bed and insomnia and what's going on in the circumstances of our life. That is what is to be human. But what Jesus is saying is not that we'll ever not have a panic attack. He's not saying that we'll never um, ever feel dread or we'll never ever feel insecure or never have negative thoughts. What Jesus is saying when he says, do not be anxious, you don't have to be dominated by fear or worry. You don't have to breathe its logic into your bones. In fact, there's a pathway of of peace out of it. In fact, Jesus says, you don't have to be anxious, meaning you can overcome it and you can live within the rhythms of grace and peace and hope for the rest of your life. Now, for some of us, that might take time. You know what I love about God? He could do a miracle right now. And he is. For some of you, you're going to experience a miracle in your mind and your bodies. 
right now. And it's already happening and I sense it. The Holy Spirit is going to work and some of you have some major fears about something and I just see that by the power of the Holy Spirit lifting that off your soul and lifting that off of your mind. Some of you have some generational stuff in your mind that keeps in your family that keeps you up at, 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 late at night and you keep on thinking about it over and over and over and over and over again. I see the Holy Spirit setting you free today in Jesus name. But what I also love about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit also works through a process. Some of us, there are some things, it's a mystery that God wants to take us through that, that, that helps us in the long run more than just getting a miracle. Some of us need a desperate, desperately need a miracle and God will give it to you. Some of us, we need to go through a process because God wants to do something deep within us. And then when we get on the other side of the trouble and the circumstance and the difficulty and we look back on what we were going through, we're like, you know what? I don't want to go through that again, but I now see why God, you brought me through that thing, that ordeal, that difficulty, that circumstance, because I am stronger today. I have more authority today. I have more peace today. And I know I wouldn't be here thinking the way that I'm thinking with a sound mind if you did not take me through the valley of the shadow of death. And I realized that you were with me the whole time. The whole time. So we don't have to be dominated by it. Why? Well, Jesus says in verse 26, look at the birds. He says, they neither sow nor reap, we, they neither gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of more value than they? Like, okay, okay, so, so Jesus is postulating that his Father can take care of this vast universe of innumerable creatures without sweating it. Jesus is working from an assumption, as I mentioned earlier, heaven, there's no panic attacks in heaven. The angels, God, all the beings in heaven, there's no collective nervous breakdown when something happens. When the world is falling apart at the seams, when your personal life is falling apart at the seams, God is not stressed. He takes care of the birds. Birds that we don't even care about, but God cares about them. And if that's the case, how much more does God care all the things that you are going through. Think about it. Some of you don't, some of you don't know this about me because you think I'm really cosmopolitan and, you know, I work out and all that kind of stuff, you know. <laughs> I'm an urbanite, you know. I live in Idaho. No, uh, but I'm a chicken farmer by proxy. Listen to me, it's by proxy. It's funny, I love my wife. She, uh, one day I was in the middle of grad school. We had seven kids. We were like treading water in life, you know, head, my nose was like right above the water. And then my wife came over without my permission, you know, because I'm, I'm in charge of our household, you know, <laughs> uh, bleep this out guys. Don't let my wife see this. No, I'm, I'm kidding. No, she, she makes all the decisions in our family. So she came home with 19 chickens. There's only 17 left, and that's a long story. It's absolutely terrifying what happened to those two chickens, okay? <laughs> so we have 17 chickens, and I love my wife. She just takes care of our family. She's the most incredible woman on the planet. Uh, she is, I think, the greatest preacher on the planet, and she is an incredible chicken person. <laughs> she takes care of these little chickens, and I don't care about them. <laughs> but the last few weeks, I'm gonna get my coffee, and I've been oh, about a month, and I, I'm looking out my window as my wife takes care of the chickens, you know, that's the kind of guy I am. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's 
some of you, we live in Idaho and you're like gonna send, again, send me emails at joelking at myspace.com. Um, but I, I, I just had a revelation. I'm like, oh my gosh, these chickens work really hard. But when they come out, they're not sweating anything. They're, they're not worried about food, right? I, I think, honestly, if, if I could do chicken talk, I would say, okay, a couple months ago, guys, birds, feathered friends, there was a mountain lion on the other side of the road, so you, you better watch it, right? There's hawks, we have eagles, we have a lot of different predators out there, but they just come out and they just think they're ruining the world. They're not worried about food. My wife goes out and feeds them. They have an unassuming quality about them. There's a freedom about them. The same is true if you have kids, any parents here today, you have kids, your kids, when they wake up, this is what I love about what Jesus says. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, you've got, you've got to become like a child. And there's so many things that we could talk about with that passage, but I think in one way, Jesus is saying, you've got to become like a child. That means you just have to learn to utterly depend on God every single day. Don't sweat about what's going to happen because your father's going to come through because your kids do that every single day. They're not sweating about what they're going to get. They know you're going to come through. Why? Because you've proven you're going to come through. You're not a perfect parent, especially if you're a Packer fan. Let's just move on. But you're growing in the Lord, okay? And I, I, I think this is, this is where Jesus wants to lead us into, a place of absolute confidence in his goodness. In fact, Dallas Willard says this, that as Jesus, what Jesus is really saying here in this passage is uh, we never have to be anxious because in this present world, um, we live in a perfectly safe place. This present world is a perfectly safe place to be. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Sounds strange to you? I can think of a lot of terrifying things out there. I'm sure you can too. I could just wax eloquently on our geopolitical situation right now. We could talk about our political landscape. We could talk about all the different things that bother us in our lives. That sounds strained. Jesus, that, that sounds strange to us. Um, we know there, there's trouble in our days. In fact, um, one author said this, trouble, there's trouble every single day uh, with humans. And humans who don't know that they are in trouble are in the worst kind of trouble. And the Psalms teach us that there is trouble. But, 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 but let me just offer just a little thought what Jesus is doing. Jesus is not saying we're going to deny reality. Jesus is trying to expand it. Are you hearing me? Jesus is not denying that there's like no death or sickness or difficulty. He's trying to expand our understanding of the dynamics of the kingdom of God. Namely, Jesus makes very clear that our ability, if we're in Christ, of accessing the Father, whether you're weak, sick, depressed, scared, um, your life is, is broken down, everything is falling apart, all of that, the presence of God, is cast in the present tense. Our access to the Father is always in the now. In fact, in the Old Testament, you have this wonderful passage, Hagar, if you know anything about her. She had a son, Ishmael. They go in the wilderness. They're cast away. She's about ready to die. She cries out to God. This is her last. She's desperate. This is her last prayer. Ishmael, her son, is dying, and she can see her son dying, and she cries out, heaven, right in front of her. Some translations will say kind of up in here, but I think it was right here. 
Heaven opens up like a little portal. Heaven is right there. An angel says, you don't have to be afraid for your God is with you. And the angel directs her to a well that eventually saves her. Heaven is right here. Heaven is not like some close or, or pretty close or maybe in proximity to Jupiter. Heaven is not 70 billion trillion miles out in deep space. Heaven, as we find in the Bible, you find this in Genesis chapter 28. Jacob is a broken man. He's a pathological liar. He stole his brother's inheritance. His brother's a psychopath and wants to kill him. So he's running away. He falls asleep because he's so weary. He's having night terrors. And God, Yahweh, appears to him in his sleep as a ladder. A ladder where angels are descending and ascending. And it's Yahweh, who is at the bottom of the ladder, right next to Jacob. And God says this to Jacob. Yeah, you got issues, bro. <sighs> Man, it's going to take a lot of work to get you healthy, okay? But I am your God, and I will be with you wherever you go. If you go to hell, I'll be there with you. Psalm 139. If you go to the farthest parts, reaches of the earth, I will be there with you. If you're in the worst circumstance, I will be with you. And yet so many people, even in the church, really struggle with this. I'll be honest, I struggle with this as well. I struggle this, with this at, at different times in my bones. And yet this is what I want God to do this year in the inside, insidest of our insides. I want us, because some of us, we've been in church for a long time, and some of us were pretty confident but I think God wants to get us into really confident. Some of you are not confident at all. God wants this year to get you into maybe I'm more confident. Wherever you're at, God wants us to move into a greater confidence that God is with us and that he loves us with an everlasting love and that heaven is not somewhere out there, but it intersects with our realities in invisible ways and God is a very present help in time of trouble. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and our strength. Therefore, we don't have to be afraid. Even though the mountains fall back into the sea, even though there's a mega apocalypse, even though the, the sea and the waters, they rage and the uh, they, they roar, and the mountains, they sweat, and they're anxious when they see the, the waters. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, because God is with his people. What is the point here? We don't have to be afraid. The nation should be afraid because they're not working for the presupposition that God is with them. They're in no dynamic relationship with Yahweh. But people who have a relationship with Yahweh, life is not defined by chaos. Life is defined not by raging waters. It is defined by a river whose streams, refreshing streams, make glad this city of God. That's why we have Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, as I think Shane mentioned. Um, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the non-anxious waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil for he is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Come on, somebody. I think it's so important that we memorize God's word. And he anoints my head with oil in the presence of my enemies. And surely, goodness and mercy, surely, that's confidence. Surely, not sort of. Surely, not maybe. Surely, the goodness of the Lord will follow me all the days of my life. 
so one of the reasons why not fearing is so difficult for many of us is because our entire posture, in the words of, of one author, it, it is inclined in our embodied living to direct or inclined our entire existence towards the physical earthly realm. So we take our kids to club basketball. We go to In-N-Out and we get sick because we had too many patties on our burger, okay? Um, we, we, we go to the grocery store. We take care of our kids. We, we do our jobs. We do life. And all of those are good things. The problem is that is only one half of reality. And the reason why many Christians get confused in life and get afraid is because when they're hit with a sudden crisis, or they're hit with a problem, they realize they've been living from only one half of reality. They are earthbound people filled with earthbound delusions. The goodness of this world, there's good things in this world. There are good movies. There are good medicine. I'm not saying this world is inherently wicked because it's not. Are there bad things in this world? Absolutely. But the goodness of this world, if we're not careful, can tempt us to believe that there's only one half of reality. And we have forgotten, I think, in many cases in the church, and this is why we don't have authority, and this is why we don't have power, that there's another side of reality, and it's called heaven. You're not just an earthbound person. If you are in Christ, you're a heavenbound person. And so our responsibility as Christians is to stay at the intersection of heaven and earth. We should be just as natural in heavenly things and in the presence of God and with understanding his will and with and understanding his wisdom than we are with doing our jobs and counting money and doing math in our head and understanding historical drama and historical events and be able to name all the pop culture songs. We should be more, come on somebody, natural in heavenly things. And the reason why we have not been successful in overcoming in many times anxiety, I'm talking to myself, or fear, is because we have lived from only one half of reality. So what's our starting point here? I just have a few more minutes and then I'm done. Our starting point for the rest of this sermon series and today, if we want to move from fear into faith, if we really want to grow this year, if we want to get unstuck in our lives, if we want to overcome that addiction, if we want to overcome the dysfunction in our family, maybe even our marriage, if there are things in our hearts and longings, maybe even objections that we want to bring to God and we want to see breakthrough in our life, we have to move into this question that I'm going to ask you. If we want to see ourselves partnering with the cosmic adventure that God has for us and live deeply from the purposes of God this year. How many of you want to live deeply from the purposes of God? How many of you want to just live absolutely unfulfilled this year? No, you want to live within the fulfillment of God's grace and his purposes, and you want to grow in that. Of course, there will be days where you feel um, unrest, and there are going to be days you're not going to have um, all the fulfillment that you want. But if you want to grow in the fulfillment that Jesus has for us, we have to ask ourselves honestly this question. Do you and I believe or are we confident that God is really good, surpassingly good? And do we believe that God is fully comp um, competent in running the universe as much as he can help me take care of my financial profile? In other words, do you really believe that God is more real than in and out? That God is more real than particles and atoms and molecules? Do you believe that God is in charge? 
And do you acknowledge who he is? Ignatius of Loyola, you guys still with me? Said this, that sin is the unwillingness to trust that, God, that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. Again, I, I gotta say it again. I think many times we feel like when we make a decision to follow Jesus, he's gonna take more, he's gonna demand more than give. That's the absolutely wrong way of seeing our relationship with Jesus. Jesus has given us everything, freely given us everything. And yet sin tempts us into thinking that God is not good. If you could trace, say this, I'm gonna talk about this more next week. If you could take any sin, any unhealthy pattern of thinking, any addiction, I guarantee you could trace the etymology or the architecture of that all the way back to a lack of trust that God really is good. And when we fail to recognize the goodness of God and really believe within our bones that God is really good and he's fully competent, more than fully competent. God, guys, get this. God's an expert at running everything from the micro to the macro in this world. Wow, that's good news. And when you grow in that, and when you begin to believe that more and more, you will find freedom and grace and true joy. But let's be honest. Let's be honest. Today, we are living in a generation, and I have to speak to this, so just bear with me. We're living in a generation that has been taught in universities and in pop culture and even in science classes that God is irrelevant. That, that, that we are simply a byproduct or we're simply a chance configuration of atoms in a meaningless slipstream of time and space with no design and no purpose. This is what we've been taught. In fact, G.K. Chesterton said this, um, when people stop believing in God, they don't stop believing in nothing. They start to believe in everything. Does that make sense of our culture right now? We start to believe in anything, even nonsense and cynical theories about life and about bodies and about politics and about ourselves. You see the theory of atheistic evolution and philosophical naturalism insists that there is no meaning, there's no design to our universe. And I, I have to say this, all of that has ripped out the soul of our generation. And I'm sick of it. And when you, you, you remove God, what do you get? You only get chaos and you only get anxiety. Think about this. When an entire generation has been schooled in the bedrock belief that God is irrelevant, God does not exist, and that we have simply descended from a primordial slime creatures, why would we ever be happy? Why would we not be afraid out of our minds? Why would we not be stressed? Why would we even care about right or wrong? Why would we even care about the horror of war and rape and murder and all the awful things that deface our world? In fact, one famous um, philosopher, Heidegger, said this. He declared that anxiety was the draining away of significance of the world. In other words, when you take, you take this equation, there's no meaning plus no designer, that equals anxiety. And that's where our culture is. Yes, there are a lot of people suffering from chemical stuff. 
in their brains and they're suffering from anxiety. And I'm so glad for good medicine. I'm so glad for good counselors. And we are so thankful for that. And I think, yes, anxiety has a psychological component without question. Some of you have experienced benefits from meeting with counselors. And thank God. Can we thank God for our, our Christian counselors and pastors? You guys are absolutely amazing. And we need more. Some of you, I think you need to go into counseling, right? And it's absolutely wonderful. But anxiety is not just a psychological problem. It is a deeply theological problem. When you believe that God is absent, when you believe that God has cast you off, when you believe that God is irrelevant or God does not exist and that there's no meaning and no purpose, why would you not be afraid? Scarlett Johansson, on another note, was asked in the recent past, I don't mean to pick on her, you know, the Marvel um, person. Um, she was asked in an interview why she was sleeping around all the time, why she was so sexually pr promiscuous. Her response was telling. Her, her response was an expression of what so many people believe about themselves. She said, well, we're basically animals, why not? The reason why people sleep around, the reason why people are sexually promiscuous, the reason why people are addicted to sex, there's a lot of different things and there's grace and this is not a word of judgment. Can I, are you hearing me here today? The reason why this happens is because you're so filled with shame and you no longer believe your body matters. When you do not believe you are created in the image of God, why not? There's no meaning, there's no purpose, there's no moral fabric woven into our bodies that says otherwise. And we got to understand people's, our, our, our generation, our, their heads are filled with so much pseudoscientific garbage. Do you agree with this? No wonder our world is experiencing or in the throes of this collective nervous breakdown. So what do we do about this as we close? Let me just say this really quick. There are objections to God. One is, well, I can't see God. If you've seen the movie Day After Tomorrow, it's a mild apocalyptic movie. Um, kind of a melodramatic thing about when the world ends. And there's a philosopher that speaks, if you've seen the movie, and he's asked the question, why don't you believe in God? And his response was, well, if God just physically manifests himself to me, opens up the heavens and speaks to me, then I'll know he's real. But I have to say, he is profoundly dishonest. If you're a scientist and you're an expert, you cannot say that because we all base reality on things we cannot see. I don't know if you know this, but there are electrons zipping around this room right now. Electromagnetic waves that are coursing through our bodies. Protect our bodies, Lord. No 5G. Anyways, let's move on. It's crazy what you hear on the internet. Oh God, right? There, 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 we have gravitational pull. You, you can't, there's just so many. You can, so many things you cannot see. You cannot see atoms and all the different material that is zipping around at a subatomic level. And yet we, as modern people, absolutely root our understanding of science on things we cannot see. We postulate quarks. Quarks are things we cannot see that we believe is fundamental to the existence of life. And yet we believe those quarks are connected to God and his existence. Can I get an amen? Shakespeare said this, are you guys still with me? There are more things in this universe that can ever be dreamed of than our speculative philosophies could ever imagine. So many more things out there. Finally, another problem, and there's so many things I can get into. I really wrestled with this because I didn't want to get abstract. I want to teach this at a later time. Maybe Dr. Stan and I could teach this on our Wednesday night classes because this, this is a year's worth of messages. But the biggest problem for many people is the problem of evil and suffering. Why would God allow suffering? 
I've suffered a lot in life. Many of you have suffered a lot in life. This is the theotic question, a good, all-powerful God allowing evil. How is that possible? There's many ways to talk and address this issue, but I just want to read Solzhenitsy. He said this about the problem of evil. He said, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously um, committing evil deeds out there and were, necessar and were necessarily um, dealt with and separated from the rest of us so we could destroy them. But the problem is this, the line of, the line of good and evil divides every human heart. It cuts through every human heart. What is it worth us dividing our heart? What he's saying is that we would like to deal with evil, but we fail to recognize how evil is also in our hearts. That if we were to ask God right now to cut away all the evil and all the suffering, we would have to allow ourselves to be judged by that same standard. Yet God in all of his goodness refuses to judge evil. He is judging evil, but he does it in a perfect way. And yes, God, through the human, the human drama that we find throughout scripture is taking the muddled mess of human suffering and the complexity of pain and sin and evil, and he's working everything out for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And there will be one day that God will get the final word and he will rid this world of all evil and he will make all things new, your body, our brains, our families, and God will be the king of kings and he will be the Lord of Lords and he will sit enthroned sovereignly over all things and we will sing and we will dance and we will shout and we might even do a Pentecostal two-step. I don't know. Because God will win. God will win. What's exciting is that 84%, a new study that came out, 84% of North Americans are open to God. Statistically significant. Guys, God is moving in Western civilization. There is shaking. Crazy things are happening. But God is moving. I'm seeing it. I, you know what I love about all the athletes? I think Mark, Fran, or Mark Thornton said this last week or a couple weeks ago. I just love seeing how athletes are more bold with their faith. As one expert said, the, the, the tide of faith is coming back in. I'm seeing raging atheists and agnostics, guys, that have just hated on God. They're turning to theism and now they're turning to Christianity. God is moving in every public domain, from the world of academy, to the sports, to our public institutions, to politics, to schools, to church, to state. There, there is not one place that lies outside the range of God's goodness. We are in the beginning stages of a move of God. And people are saying, I can't live that story anymore. I can't work from a presupposition that God does not exist because it's unlivable. In fact, the great philosopher, his name is Jim Carrey, he said this, I wish everybody had all the money that I got and all the, fa the fame that I got and they would know that it will never produce happiness. Genesis 1, this is where we end. In the beginning, not man, in the beginning, not success. In the beginning, not primordial slime. In the beginning, not chance, not time. In the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the universe. And when we start there 
and we let God be God in our lives and we build our lives around two things. God, you are good. You are surpassing in your goodness. You are extravagant in your goodness and you are fully competent in running every aspect of my life as I learn to partner with you. That is when you will enter into the beauty that God has for you. You see, when you start, when your story does not have God, it only, it might take a day, it might take 10 years, it might take 20 years, but everyone will come to a point in this world if their story does not have God at the center of it that will lead them to anxiety and depression and despair and despondency. You see, when you do not have God, it will only, it will just take time. It will only lead to anxiety. But when we start with God, and when God is at the center of our story, it leads to beauty, it leads to order. God blesses us. We live from a place of love that, that casts out all fear. We learn to Sabbath, we find this in Genesis 1. We learn the art of rest and shalom and good work and human flourishing. This is the story that God has for you and I, when we believe that God in this beautiful cosmic drama is, is taking the universe and shaping it, and then in Genesis 1 is taking the land and he's arranging it, and then what does he do? He speaks. I love this. God is not a non-communicative impersonality. God has a voice, a rational, reasonable, powerful, authoritative loving voice and he speaks over creation and bam, life happens. Hmm. I love this. Scott could say this better than I, but there's something called fine tuning. And fine tuning basically suggests there are hundred more than a hundred constants, gravitational pull and electric magnetic force and all that kind of stuff, strong, whatever, I, I can't even name it, like just way beyond my prayer grade. But all these constant forces that are absolutely needed perfectly to be exactly where they're at or life cannot happen. In the beginning, God spoke. Beauty, life, flourishing, merged. So, how do we begin to know this God? Who is this God? And how does knowing who this God is as I close, how does this help us? Are you still with me? I got three minutes and then I need to be done. How does knowing this God and knowing that he's our helper help us? How does it set us free from fear? All the fears that we have in our whole life. How does knowing who God is bring growth? Well, as I said before, I think everything at the bottom of everything that keeps us in stuckness is a low-grade fear. And as we move into talking about purpose and generosity and the life that God has for us over the next 12 weeks, we have to grow in our confidence that God is who he says he is. Number one, who is God? He is everlasting to everlasting. Psalm 90, before there was mountain ranges, before there was snow, before there were galaxies and worlds, there was God. Isaiah 40 says the same thing, from everlasting to everlasting, God is God. And the prophet Isaiah says that to a people who were struggling with God's temporality. The people were assuming that God was limited by space and by temporality and by circumstances. And the prophet says, no, no, you got, you, no, 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 you guys don't understand. 
God is from everlasting to everlasting. Nothing can contain him. God doesn't have a daddy named Gork. Right? You have to make a fundamental decision today. Where do we come from? Some eternal inanimate stuff or from an eternal someone named Yahweh, right? In fact, science, if we're honest, says there's no such thing as eternal in the past because there was a beginning when it comes to inanimate objects. There was a beginning, they call it a big bang. I like to say it was God who designed our universe and he is the uncaused cause. He is the self-existent God that is responsible for all things. So when you begin to see that God is from everlasting to everlasting and that he's not limited by your circumstances, guess what happens? You can take a deep sigh. You can take a deep breath. You could say, oh God, God, okay, this thing that I'm going through is really a big struggle. I'm gonna remind myself, you are everlasting to everlasting. You are bigger than anything that I'm facing. Number two, God is immutable. I, I, I don't wanna to get too much deep in the weeds with these words, immutable is just God is faithful. Deuteronomy 7 says, God is our God and he is the faithful God keeping his covenant to a thousand generations. That's, that's I love that. The God is dependable, he is faithful. Some of us, when we think of faithfulness, we think of, oh, it's vanilla, it's boring. Oh, the guy, God is reliable. No, that's the most important thing. God, when he says something, he keeps his word. God is a promise maker, keeper, and he will keep his promises to his people to a thousand generations. God never lies. He speaks the truth. You can count on God. Number three, as I mentioned before, God is personal. God is never described in the Bible as, um, as an impersonal thing, right? God is personal. He's a person. He thinks, he reasons, he feels, he decides, and we are made in his image. God is not a therapeutic fiction that gets us through the day. God is outside of us. He's created ontological space for us to exist, and he wants to be in relationship with us, and he wants you to hear his voice, and he wants you to be blessed, and he wants to save you, and he wants to rescue you, and he wants to forgive you, and he wants to heal your marriage, and he wants to break up the dysfunction in your family, and he wants to break the power of lust, and he wants to set you free free and he has something to say about your marriage and he has something to say about your body and he has something to say about your deepest fear number four he is infinite he's sovereign we can't get into this this simply means he's boundless he's fathomless this fathomless he's inexhaustible nothing is larger in scope than than God okay so if we if we take infinity Scott this might be wrong, but you could just go with me. If we take infinity, it's expressed as X plus one, which means whatever number you ascribe to X, there's always one more. In other words, in describing God, there is no end. So what does that mean? If we assign something to X, suffering, but then we understand God in his infinite love, suffering might be big, but God is always bigger. X is pain or X is sin. My sin is so deep, Chris. You don't know how bad I am. I want to follow God, but I, just, I got problems. I got issues. I've been sucking it up in 2024. Well, I have good news for you. God is infinite. His love and his grace and his forgiveness and the scope of who he is is always bigger than everything that's going on in your life. Can I get an amen to that? 
I'm almost done. I'm almost done, just go with me. Uh, five, he's absolute in his knowledge. Psalm 147, God counts the stars by name. Astronomers, I think we just need to know this, postulate that in the known universe, um, we have galaxies and the galaxies number about 100 billion. And that's, that's gonna be more as we get more information. And there are 300 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. And there are so many more galaxies out there that are just way larger than our Milky Way galaxy. So if you do the math, the total population of stars is about 70 billion trillion. And God has absolute knowledge about them. He names them. He names you today. He's naming your fear. He's naming your hurt. He's naming your pain. He's naming the stars. He's naming the chickens. He probably has pet names for my chickens. They're, you know, whatever. Like God, there's nothing that lies outside of God's knowledge. Six, God's almighty. Are you hearing me today? He's almighty. Genesis 17, God comes to a hundred year old man and says, hey, you're gonna have a baby. And that's what Sarah does. She laughs. I would have laughed. And yet God says, why are you laughing? I am the Almighty. I am not constrained by circumstances or by biology. God is absolutely metaphysically free to do what God desires to do within him. God does not get frustrated in his purposes over our life. Can I get an amen? And if God can bring a baby to a hundred-year-old man, hmm, Think about that. Hmm. Think about that. What can God do in us? God is holy. We'll talk more about this over the next several weeks. Completely beautiful, unqualified, differently, different than us. And then God is love. He loves us with an everlasting love. Okay. So I want to restate this. How do we grow in the confidence that God is good and fully competent in running my life. How do, we, how do we get there? Well, I'm just gonna announce it over you guys. Jesus today, if I could put words prophetically, what I feel in my heart that Jesus is saying to everyone in this room, I just wanna say this, heaven guys, if you are in Christ, heaven is open to you right now. If I could say anything, I'm gonna say this, no one in this room for the rest of their life, and I'm speaking to myself as well, ever has to be afraid of anything ever again. Does that mean you'll walk out here and not feel fear? No. I just, I just want to make the claim that God is so good, and he's an expert at what he does, and he will bring creation to, its, to his intended purpose, and you belong within the creative purposes and project of God making all things new, that you do not have to be afraid ever again. I wanna say to you that your God is with you today. You might not feel that in your bones, you might feel the opposite, that's totally okay, but your pastor today is prophesying that you don't have to be afraid because your God is with you. Some of you, you feel weak today, and that is okay, but the Lord your God is saying you could be strong again. Some of you, you feel really weak and sick, maybe in mind and body, but I want to tell you today that it's going to be okay because the Holy Spirit is going to go to work in you and he's going to strengthen you. Some of you, you've even told yourself that it's the end, that you've exhausted all of God's goodness, and I want to say, man, not even close. 
that God has so much more in store for you, that you are not at the finish line, that you are not at the end, that this isn't like, this isn't like just the, some of you are so deeply frustrated about where you're at and you feel like you're just gonna stay stuck in this repeated pattern. I believe 2024, God, and this is a prophetic word over you, God is gonna bring breakthrough. He's gonna surpass your wildest expectations. I want you guys to get ready for it. I want you to grow in the confidence of God. I want you to grow in your understanding that God is a good God and he is not stressed and he is not anxious and he is here a very present help in time of trouble for you. God gave me a word and I'm done. January 1. And he said, it was out of John 5, I believe. And Jesus comes to a lame man and says, do you want to be made well? And the man was like, uh, gave him like a, a poor answer and Jesus didn't listen to it. And he said, Man, get up, pick up your bed, and walk. This is the word of the Lord to this church. Some of you, you've been sitting in complacency, or you've been sitting in fear, or you've been sitting in regret, or you've been sitting in shame, or you've been sitting in anxiety, or you've been sitting in a stuckness. And the word of the Lord to every son and daughter in this room, and through the power of God, is get up, take up that bed, throw it away, and start walking. Man of God, start walking. Woman of God. He is for you. Guys, he's a very present help in time of trouble. He is your strength. He is your joy. He is your song. He is present here this afternoon. So Father, I thank you that you would speak to us about that today. Let us believe that in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. One practice really quick. Shane, come up here. I, how, what's our practice here? How do we make this more real? I don't want this to be abstract. I want us to enter into this this week. We're gonna talk a lot about prayer over the next probably four or five months. I wanna talk about praying boldly. I felt strongly about this. Jesus says this, ask and you shall receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you good things? So what's the presupposition of prayer? You have to believe that God is good. And then when you believe and work from the presupposition that God is good, you start to ask bold prayers. God rebuked me two days ago. And he said, Chris, why are your, why are your prayers for your needs so weak? I was praying, God, can you sort of help me? Can you kind of help me with, I'm tired of being sick for a month, you know? Be nice to, be nice, Lord, to you to come maybe every now and then, you know? And I just felt the Holy Spirit just say, Chris, why are you not asking bold prayers? So this is what I want you to do. I want you to take 20 minutes every day this week. You figure it out in your rhythm of life. Take 20 minutes if it's a prayer drive, if it's a prayer walk, if it's in the morning, and I want you to pray bold prayers. Luther said this on prayer. Pray and let God worry. And then he also said this. Do not be bashful before God and do not think that what you ask is too big or too much. Come right out with it, even if all you have is bags full of needs. Out with everything. God is greater and more able and more willing than all of your sins. Do not dribble your request before him. God is not a man whom you can overburden with your begging and asking. 
In fact, the more you ask, the happier God is to hear you. Only pour it all out. Do not dribble or drip it, for he will not drip or dribble either, but he will flood you with a veritable deluge and flood of good things in your life. And everyone said, amen, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.